Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. So glad you joined us for another edition of Texas Ag Today. Well, of course, all week long, we've been talking about the weather and the effects that it has had on agriculture here in Texas. Today, we'll take a look at cotton planting. We've had a lot of hot, dry weather over the last week, and that's been great for getting the rest of this cotton crop in the ground. We'll have more on that coming up. Plus, if you missed the Texas A&M beef cattle short course last year because of COVID, Guess what? It's back this year. Make your plans to attend now. We'll have the details coming up. My name's Carrie Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. As we continue our series on the West Texas Mesonet, Today, we talk about what a mesonet site consists of. I'm James Hunt, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. Surveys can ensure proper boundary lines in rural land sales. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. The expected rewrite of a clean water rule is a tidal wave of disappointment for Texas farmers and ranchers. I'm Gary Joyner, and I'll have those details on Texas Ag Today. We'll have those stories, plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. After a hiatus last year because of the pandemic, the Texas A&M Beef Cattle Short Course will be live and in person this year. Jessica Dommel has the details. Cattlemen and women from across the state and the nation will once again gather in College Station this summer for the annual Texas A&M University Beef Cattle Short Course. Dr. Jason Clear, event organizer, says this year's event will be offered in person and online. Well, the exciting thing about the 2021 Texas A&M Beef Cattle Short Course is that we'll be back in person like we were before COVID rocked the world. And last year, even though we had a, a virtual event, it's had a great success. Over 1,800 people online that attended the Beef Cattle Short Course. This year, it's going to be in person. We're going to have our big trade show like we always do, great meals, and of course, all the educational programming. And so we're looking forward to having 2,000 of our friends back here in, in Aggie land on the campus of Texas A&M University learning about beef cattle. The beef cattle short course will be held August 2nd through the 4th. You can register now at beefcattleshortcourse.com. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. Very hot and dry weather over the last week has allowed Texas cotton farmers to make up a lot of lost ground. USDA meteorologist Brad Rippey says the weekly crop progress and condition report shows a big jump in cotton planting here in Texas. Certainly has been an interesting year already for cotton. We see planting really picking up in the last week across Texas where it turned hot and dry. And as a result, some of the delays in cotton planting that we saw in the national numbers flipped around to the other side of things for the week ending June 13th. As of that date, 90% of the U.S. cotton acreage planted 
one point ahead of the five-year average, also ahead of last year's 87%. If you remember a week ago, cotton planting was considerably behind schedule. Uh, the numbers from a week ago are coming in uh, several points behind average. The biggest increase in cotton planting during the week ending June 13th was in Texas. Huge jump from 60% planted a week ago to 88% on June 13th. That's ahead of the five-year average of 86%. That leaves 12% of the Texas cotton crop to be planted here at this very late date. As far as cotton condition ratings go, the report shows that 8% of the Texas crop is rated excellent, 20% rated good, 61% rated fair, and 11% rated poor to very poor. Well, keeping an eye on the weather is more important now than ever. So just what does it take to create a West Texas Mesonet site? James Hunt has the answer from Amarillo. As we've talked about in this series, every day farmers and livestock producers consult the West Texas Mesonet for weather information. Information gathered at 135 Mesonet sites. As the system established by Texas Tech grows, Mesonet's operations manager, Wes Burgett, says he tries to add eight or nine new sites each year. Generally, we're trying to get the best wind data. To get the best wind data, you need to be out in the middle of nowhere, ideally with no trees, no buildings. So we do a lot of CRP land, or I'm not interfering with an agricultural aspect, or if it's federal land, uh, it's like a pasture or even state land, is somewhere away from everything, and that I can still get cellular data reception. So uh, a lot of these stations are not necessarily in towns. Uh, they're outside of town where there, there's um, not, not as many obstructions. And once they find a good spot, Burgett says what a Mesonet site consists of, essentially, is a tiny fenced-in area highlighted by a 33-foot-tall aluminum tower. And there's 29 different sensors and parameters we measure on that tower from wind at three levels, the temperature at three levels, the humidity, dew point, rainfall, um, what we call leaf wetness for the ag community, solar radiation, and most stations actually have different layers of soil temperature and soil moisture depending on the ground type. A mesonet site is somewhat expensive with a base cost to build one of about $25,000, about $40 to $45 a month in communications expenses, and Burgett says on average $2,000 to $3,000 a year for maintenance and repairs much of that necessitated by hail damage. In the final installment of our series, plans for the future, including new mesonet sites for the Panhandle. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The real estate market is red hot in Texas right now, and if you're making a sale or purchase, having a survey is vital to preventing problems down the road. Tom Nicoletti explains. On today's program, we continue our discussion on the reasons for surveys of rural land during sales transactions. Tyler Jacobs of Hall & Hall LLP explains this scenario. So if you have a fence line that is a mile long with your neighbor, and it is off a foot in one place and off six inches in another place and off 15 foot in another place, that adds up to a significant amount of land. And those problems can always be resolved as we all try to be good neighbors. But understanding the difference between what is legally owned and what is possessed in that drawing is important information to know whether you are buying property or selling property. Who pays for the survey is negotiable entirely. It can be split. It can be paid by one party or the other. But at the end of the day, the real estate contracts do allow for a survey to be acquired. 
What else can you talk about in regards to, to how these surveys work and how they're obviously uh, beneficial to uh, both uh, parties involved, uh, buyers and sellers? Knowledge is power and it helps us make good decisions. So sometimes things show up on surveys that you would not know were there unless you had that in hand. For example, easements, power easements, telephone easements, pipeline easements, access easements. Those things are all generally covered by a boundary survey. And, and that information is power to, to both, again, a buyer and, and a seller. Uh, recently had a situation where a seller did not know that they had a secondary access to their property. And a new survey proved that point, which added value to the property. So there's always an argument to be made of, of that extra knowledge, whether you are selling a property or purchasing a property. That extra knowledge of having a good detailed survey available to you is definitely a commodity worth its cost in most transactions. In these days, it tends to be the exception rather than the rule that you wouldn't get one or don't need, need one. It does require a physical inspection of the monuments and the property and the boundaries. There are different levels of, of technology employed to produce the actual drawing, produce the coordinates and the measurements of, of the legal description. Most surveyors are licensed by the state of Texas. Those inspections, those physical inspections and resolution of boundaries is, is something that I don't ever see going away because or information that can only be found on the ground. That is Tyler Jacobs, broker partner with Hall & Hall LLP in College Station. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. We've been fighting over clean water rules for nearly 10 years, and if you thought the old Obama-era WOTUS rule was dead, well, think again. The EPA has announced it's rewriting clean water rules yet once more. Gary Joyner has more. Deeply concerned is one way to describe the reaction. An expected fight over land use is another way to look at it. When the Environmental Protection Agency announced last week its intention to repeal and replace the Navigable Waters Protection Rule, America's farmers and ranchers couldn't hide their extreme disappointment. The less than one-year-old rule provided clarity and certainty to clean water efforts. The EPA's intention to reverse the rule washes all of that away. Concerns by farmers and ranchers were ignored. A return to overreaching regulation will deeply damage agriculture's trust in EPA leadership. If the term navigable is taken out of the Clean Water Act in the rewrite, a new wave of issues begins. Does the new rule protect water or regulate land use? The flawed, overly complicated, and excessive regulations of the 2015 WOTUS rule have no place in today's environment. Farmers and ranchers should need a team of lawyers and consultants to farm and ranch, but a rewrite of the rule could do just that. I'm Gary Joyner for Texas Ag Today. Parasite resistance is a major problem in the livestock industry. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. Parenting is full of surprises. You never know what to expect. So after our son was born, I called my Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent to set up a life insurance policy in case something happened to me. Sawyer is now two. And we'll soon have a sister. There's no one else I would trust with protecting my family. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com for an agent you can trust with life's most important decisions. 
Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Parasite resistance is a major problem in the livestock industry. So are we getting to a point now to where the old drugs just won't work anymore and we have to look at alternatives? Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd takes a look at that question. Dr. Ray Kaplan with the University of Georgia indicates we need to work smarter to defeat these parasites and more in harmony with nature. He goes on to say that we have to get rid of this drug addiction mentality to kill all parasites, as drugs can no longer be the only solution. Control of parasites is important to minimize economic losses and health problems like decreased weaning weights, decreased fertility, decreased milk production, and decreased immunity. Dr. Kaplan goes on to say at Drovers.com that we must deworm less but smarter. Every cow has some parasites but not every cow has disease from the parasites. So we need to treat to prevent disease, not to completely prevent infection, as this is an unrealistic goal at this time. Grazing animals can cope with parasites until they become overburdened, and this is where we have to step in with medication. Parasite control now is more than just alternating deworming products, and we have to use the concept of refugia to our advantage. Refugia are the parasites in the animals and on the pasture that are susceptible to dewormers, but we do not treat them. This allows the refugia to compete with the resistant parasites, so there will be less of them and slows the development of parasite resistance. It is recommended to only deworm about 80% of your cow herd and leave the other 20% that are in the best condition to allow refugia to remain. Also, using combinations of deworming medication has been shown to increase the kill rate of the parasites. I'm Dr. Bob Judd on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The comment period is now open for the recovery plan for an endangered amphibian. Jessica Domel has the details in today's wildlife report. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is now accepting comments on a revised recovery plan for the endangered Houston toad. The Houston toad is one of the first amphibians to be protected under the Endangered Species Act. It is one of Texas' most critical endangered species, according to Fish and Wildlife. Over the years, the toad has suffered significant habitat loss due to urbanization and drought. The Houston toad's habitat range is largely in east-central Texas in the following counties. Austin, Bastrop, Burleson, Colorado, Lavaca, Lee, Leon, Milam, and Robinson. The toad was first listed as endangered in 1970. Since then, Fish and Wildlife has worked with private landowners and others to protect and restore the toad's habitat and hopefully reverse its declining populations. In addition, the Houston, Fort Worth, and Dallas zoos have created captive breeding programs to boost the Houston toad's population numbers. As part of the ongoing recovery effort, Fish and Wildlife has drafted this revised recovery plan. It would be the first update to the original plan, which was approved 36 years ago. The plan will include updated information on the toad's biology, population status, and threats to the Houston toad. FWS says the recovery plan is not regulatory. Instead, it will provide a framework for the toad's recovery. The revised recovery plan is available on regulations.gov. Comments will be accepted on that website through July 27th. Again, that's regulations.gov. 
Simply search Houston toad. The Houston toad is small. It's about two to three inches long. It's covered with raised patches of skin that resemble warts. It's generally brown and speckled with a pale underside that has small dark spots. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. The cattle market climbed higher for the third day in a row this week on Wednesday, but we saw a mixed close in both cotton and corn. We'll take a closer look at all of our livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Truck drivers, if you're stuck on a railroad crossing, don't just sit there. It takes a freight train more than a mile to stop, even in an emergency. So by the time you hear this... It could be too late to save your truck, and maybe your license or your life. Instead, immediately get out of your truck, away from the tracks, and call the number on the emergency sign at the crossing. That gives the railroad a chance to stop trains before they get to you. Always call the emergency number. It could save your truck, your license, and your life. Go to OLI.org for info. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. It's been a good week so far for the cattle market. We've seen triple-digit gains in both live and feeder cattle futures all three days of the week, all the way through Wednesday. We ended up closing on Wednesday with June live cattle up $1.7, 122.30. The August up $1.02, 124.92. October live cattle up $1.35 at $129.97. The feeder market saw gains also. The nearby August up $0.87, cents, 157.70. September feeders up $1.15 at $159.80. October up $1.30, $161.32. Cash-fed cattle market saw some sales on Wednesday. Kansas reporting sales at $122 on a live basis. Up in Nebraska, they've gotten as high as $124 live, $195 dressed. The online fed cattle exchange sold on Wednesday. They sold 793 head of Texas cattle. They brought $121 to $122.50. Boxed beef prices trending lower all week. Wednesday was no exception. Choice was down 292, 331.51. Select down 656 at 291.72. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. When you hear the auctioneer sound off, it's time to head over to Mason to talk to Ken Jordan, Jordan Cattle Auction, Mason, and San Saba about Monday's sale in Mason. Ken, how many noses did you count? You bet, Larry. We ended up having a good run day. Had a little over 700 head today. I thought overall the uh, market opened up this week uh, with a very steady tone. I think we've cash has probably outperformed the futures. We're up again pretty strong in futures, corn down again today. But overall, I think the market was steady in uh, most of the calves. Yearling stocker steers, I thought they sold fully steady. I had a group of four steers, weighed 566 at a buck 63, a little over $922 on those. Feeder steers and heifers also sold, I thought, fully steady. Had a good group of steers, weighed 713 at $1.42 today, right at 1013 Packer cows were very strong, very active again. Bulls were active and all remained steady. Pairs of bread cows also sold in very, very good demand on a steady basis with all the good rain we've had down this area, Larry. Good deal. Then we've got some things happening Thursday in San Saba. You bet. We've got a stocker feeder sale that we have every time this year. We've got a lot, a lot of good strings of calves and yearlings that'll be consigned to that. I'm looking for a really good run. We, I know about 14, 1500 already coming. Uh, there'll be a lot of good cattle available there. Also, we do have a uh, female consignment. There's about 90 something uh, Brangus and uh, then a good many Charlay Brangus cross cows. Uh, pretty well complete, complete ranch sellout. They got a set of Charlay cross calves at their side. We'll shape and group them up. Those will sell about noon. We'll start to sell at 11. 
attack our cows, rolling the pears right quick, and then be in the stocker feeder cell there. Sounds like you got a good start to the rest of the week. Tell everybody how to get a hold of you, Ken Jordan. You bet, Larry. Then give us a call, Larry. Go 325-372-5159 for updated information on the uh, early offerings we have for that sale on Thursday. Go to jordancattle.com, Larry. We appreciate you. Thank you so much. You bet. Thank you, Larry. And Texas farming and ranching neighbors, thank you, too for listening to Walk in the Pens, a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. I'm Larry Marble. I'm your host each day. Good day. Thanks, Larry. Back over to the futures market now where lean hogs were limit down. The July contract down $3.11.50. August hogs down $3 at $1.11.70. Class 3 milk was mixed. The June up a nickel, $17.30 a hundredweight. July milk down 10 cents, $17.03. The cotton market closed mixed in a light volume trade. Traders seem to be waiting on new fundamental news to move this market one way or the other. We ended up closing higher on the nearby July. It was up five points, 85.33. The new crop contracts lower, October down 95 points, 86.66. December cotton down 85 at 85.95 cents. Same story in the corn market. A mixed close with old crop higher, new crop lower. July corn up five and a half, six seventy-three a bushel. September corn down three and a quarter, five eighty-eight and a half. December corn down one and a quarter, five seventy-two and a half. The wheat market finishing mixed. Hard wheat was lower while soft wheat was mostly higher. July Kansas City wheat down two, six ten and three quarters. July Chicago wheat up one and a quarter, six sixty-two and three quarters. Rough rice finished higher. July rice up a nickel, twelve thirty-six a hundredweight. September rice up six cents at twelve sixty-three. The soybean market sharply lower. November beans dropping thirty and a quarter to close at thirteen forty-three and a quarter. Soybean meal was higher. July meal up six eighty at closing at three seventy-nine twenty a ton. In the energy markets, July natural gas unchanged 324, July crude oil down 17 cents, 71.95 a barrel. The financial markets were lower, the Dow down 243 points, 34,056, the Nasdaq down 24 at 14,048, the S&P 500 down 20 points, 4,226. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. Don't forget, we'll be right back here tomorrow to bring you all of the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'm Kerry Martin. Hope to see you next time right here on Texas Ag Today. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.